0: So Lamentations, chapter 3, and we begin at the first verse. Let's give our attention to God's holy word. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again. All day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my path crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and sated me with gall. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait patiently, to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Well, as I said this morning, if you weren't with us, if you're just joining with us uh, this afternoon, perhaps, this morning we considered from Ephesians 6.21, the role model of faithfulness in Tychicus, the faithful servant. And we consider it at some length uh, the the call to be faithful in our Christian lives and the beauty of a faithful character. But we must always be on guard even as we consider these calls to Christian virtue. Uh, Because with every call to Christian virtue Certainly there are pitfalls. There's the pitfall of pride. The man who said he was so proud of his humility. There's always the pitfall of pride. There's the pitfall of moralism. That we think it's by our own good deeds, our own good works, that we earn God's love And favor. Uh, There's the pitfall of discouragement. Great, great discouragement when we see unfaithfulness in those around us. Maybe even those most close to us in this world. And, of course, there is the pitfall, perhaps, of hopelessness. When we really look at our lives and we see just how many ways that we have been less than the faithful Christians we should be. But for all those pitfalls, there's one great remedy. Faith to look away from others, to look away from ourselves, and to look again and afresh at our God and his faithfulness to his people in Jesus Christ. You know, I think it's certainly true and would never be argued that the men and women of remarkable faithfulness in biblical history and in church history, we're always men and women, or boys and girls, who looked to and relied on God's faithfulness to them. Will I doubt? God is faithful. Will people forsake me? God is faithful. Will I be afraid? God is faithful. Might I be crushed? God is faithful. Will the promises fail? God is faithful. It's the faithfulness of God. Even as we've had this call, and it's a biblical call, and a gospel call, to pray that we be faithful servants of Jesus Christ, we begin and end and really it's true all the way through that we do that by looking to our faithful god and one of the most precious portions of scripture related to god's faithfulness is found in one of the most painful portions of scripture that was painful to read And probably painful to hear, and much more painful to experience. Yet it is in this profoundly painful portion of Scripture that is one of the greatest, most beautiful testimonies to God's faithfulness found in all of Scripture. And that's no coincidence. That's no coincidence. In the hardest times, in the darkest times, the hope and comfort and light of God's faithfulness to his people shines the brightest. And that passage, of course, is Lamentations chapter 3. I wonder if this morning, when we were considering the theme of faithfulness, some of you were saying, He's going to go to Lamentations 3. He's going to quote Lamentations. He has to quote Lamentations 3. Well, we've come there this afternoon. We've come there this afternoon. Uh, These these well-known words, and I'm considering especially verses 22 and following. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Those are words, of course, that gave rise to one of the most well-known hymns in the Christian church, written in 1923 by Thomas Chisholm, of whom one biographer wrote. His aim in writing was to incorporate as much scripture as possible and to avoid flippant and sentimental themes. But you know what he wrote. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see, all I have needed thy hand has provided, great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto me. That's Lamentations 3. The original context, whatever was happening in the life of Thomas Chisholm, the original context was the life of Jeremiah. Jeremiah and the people of God in the times of Jeremiah. The time when God used the instrument of the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar to come and invade the land and destroy the city and the temple and carry the people off into exile. And it was such a desperate and hard time that in Lamentations chapter 1, verse 12... We read, Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look around and see, is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me, that the Lord brought on me in the day of his fierce anger? Now why does the book of Lamentations reflect suffering that seems to have no parallel? What came together to bring this situation of incomparable pain and suffering? Well, in light of biblical history up until this point, there were two factors in the the lives of the people of God and the history of the people of God that led to this uh, situation. The first factor was they were a people of great privilege. The greatest privilege of all the peoples and all the nations among the peoples of the earth. Deuteronomy 4.7 For what nation is there so great? Who has God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? Deuteronomy 4.7 Or Second Samuel 7.23 And who is like your people Israel? The one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself, and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. Great privileges. But how did the people respond to those great privileges? They responded with great sin. And Lamentations, the five chapters of Lamentations, you see having five chapters means that chapter three can be right in the middle. But if you go through chapters one and two and chapters four and five, you see the sins that were committed. And our catechism teaches us that not all sins are, are, are the same in their sinfulness, that there are different factors that can make sin more Sinful. And certainly, those who have greater privileges expose themselves to the possibility of greater sin. And this was true here of the church in Jeremiah's day. They had been so blessed, so privileged, and yet they forgot God. They rebelled against God. They did what was displeasing in his sight. And so it shouldn't really surprise us that this book speaks of something that is is so hard and so painful with so much suffering involved. These two factors come together to produce this situation. But even so, even so, in the middle of a book called Lamentations, to lament to be exceedingly sorrowful. In the middle of this book, in the middle of chapter three, there is the climax of God's faithfulness. This book is beautifully written in Hebrew. Uh, it has uh, different portions that are in themselves Acrostics, they follow the different letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And many people say that this was perhaps an aid to memorizing the book. But one commentator said that perhaps it was also the way we would speak of the A to Z of something. That when this book describes suffering, it's the A to Z of suffering and when we use that language it speaks of a fullness a comprehensiveness a completeness this is the a to z of rebellion the a to z of consequences for sin our suffering in our own lives may be linked to great sin in light of great privilege that's possible that has to be going on in our nation So many privileges, even now, hundreds probably of people cross Roxham Road, the border crossing at Roxham Road in Quebec, trying to get into Canada from all places around the world. They want to be, we're a nation of great privilege and great blessing. And we take those blessings and we say, as it were to God, thank you very much, now get out of our lives. We hate you. We don't want to hear from you. We will live our own way. Thank you very much. The church in Canada is not a picture of spiritual health and fidelity to God's word or to Jesus Christ. And it may be in our lives that we are people who have been so blessed, born into Christian homes, having the word of God, fellowship, people praying for us. And we've had blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And could it be that we've been people who said, even if we've only said it inside, you can come to church every Sunday and still say it inside. Thank you very much, God, but I don't care. And I'll do my own thing, my own way, in my own time. Great privileges, great sin will lead to great consequences. But that may not be the case for our sin, or for our suffering, and the calamitous things that may happen in our lives. That may not always be the case. We have to be very careful. We have Job in our Bibles as the prototypical righteous sufferer. He was blameless, and yet his life was filled with suffering of all kinds. And so we need to be balanced and biblical as we consider suffering. But whatever the case is, where there is great suffering and great consequences for sin, when we experience the A to Z of calamity and suffering, we also have the A to Z of God's faithfulness to his people. And here, I think, is the point. If Jeremiah, in light of lamentations, can say, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. If he can say this in the context of lamentations, then whatever may be going on in your life, you can say it too. They were experiencing God's displeasure because people of great privilege had committed great sin. If that's true of you, there's still something to call to mind that you may have hope. And if it's less than that, if there's just suffering in your life, that the Spirit hasn't convicted you of any particular sin, You've repented as far as you know of your sin, and yet the Lord has brought suffering into your life even more. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The A to Z of God's faithfulness. Will he not be faithful to you? These letter, these verses here, uh, in particular, uh, verses 22 to 24 that we are looking at, as this acrostic in hebrew works itself through these verses all begin with the same hebrew letter and as we come to verse 22 what does jeremiah come uh, call to mind verse 22 the first word in the hebrew is the word for covenant mercy chesed covenant mercy and we see that god is faithful In his mercies. First, we see he is faithful in his saving mercies. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. So much has happened from God's hand, but they are not consumed. The people of God were chastised. The true people of God were chastised but not condemned. They were disciplined but not destroyed. I think of Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, we are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. Because of the Lord's saving mercies, His people were not consumed. Well, why? They deserved it. But God does not treat us as our sins deserved. He has treated Christ as his people's sins deserved. So when we read, Is it nothing to you all who pass by? Look around and see, Is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me that the Lord brought on me in the day of his fierce anger? As much as that may have applied to Jeremiah in part, it applies to Jesus in full. When he suffered on the cross in the place of his people. When we read through even Lamentations 3, Ultimately, this speaks of Christ. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He's filled me with bitter herbs and sated me with gall. He's broken my teeth with gravel, trampled me in the dust. I've been deprived of peace, forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone. That's my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? so disfigured beyond human likeness as one from whom men hide their faces. This is Jesus suffering the guilt and penalty of the sins of his people so that though we may be chastised, we are not consumed. So that through faith in Messiah Jesus, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness forgiven not consumed we owe it to the sparing mercy of god that we are not consumed said matthew henry he has not treated us as our sins have deserved and those saving compassions never fail the word means they are never spent they are never finished they never run out Christ will lose none of those that the Father has given him. He will save his people to the uttermost. He is faithful in his saving mercies. But secondly, we see here in verse 23 that they are sufficient mercies. They are sufficient mercies. The next verse starts with the Hebrew word for new mercies so covenant mercies verse 22 verse 23 new new mercies and that familiar language new every morning how faithful god is day by day by day by day new morning mercies particularly tailored to each new day in our lives do you think of that when you wake up as a believer What is the first thing that greets you? Whether you realize it or not, it is the mercies of your faithful God. They greet you the first thing in the morning, whether that morning is at 7 o'clock or 4 o'clock or 2.30. Whenever you wake up, there they are. New morning mercies. I think John Piper just put it so well. God's mercies are new every morning because each day only has enough mercy in it for that day. God appoints every day's troubles and God appoints every day's mercies. In the life of His children, they are perfectly appointed. Jesus said, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Every day has its own trouble. Every day has its own mercies. Each is new every morning. He goes on, But we often tend to despair when we think that we, may not, that we may have to bear tomorrow's load on today's resources. God wants us to know. We won't. Today's mercies are for today's troubles. Tomorrow's mercies are for tomorrow's troubles. The manna in the wilderness was given one day at a time. There was no storing it up. That is the way we must depend on God's mercy. You do not receive today the strength to bear tomorrow's burdens. You are given mercies today for today's troubles. And they are sufficient mercies to meet everything that God in his providence will bring to you. God is faithful. I think of 1 Corinthians 10. Even as we pray, lead us not into temptation. We pray that as often as we pray for our daily bread. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so you can endure it. That's sufficient mercy, new every morning. Well, and if that's the kind of mercy that we get from God every day, therefore, Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, because his new morning mercies are sufficient for the day. So they are saving mercies. God is faithful in his saving mercies. He's faithful in sufficient mercies day by day, but his mercies are sure mercies. Sure mercies. Verse 24, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The first Hebrew word in this verse is that word portion, or share, or part. We could think of the idea of inheritance. The God who is faithful today Will be faithful every day. Portions on earth are perishing, said one writer. But God is a portion forever. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. you make my lot secure psalm 165 psalm 73 26 My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 142, I cry to you, Lord, I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Sure mercies, eternal mercies. And notice how Jeremiah speaks to himself. See how he counsels himself. Verse 21, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. This is what we are to do. We are to call things to mind. We are to call God's faithfulness to mind in light of his word. And verse 24, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. What was true for Jerusalem and the people of God as they waited for God's deliverance is true for the church for all eternity. Zechariah 8.8. I will bring them back, God says, to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people, and I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. God's mercies are faithful and sure. Every child of God in eternity will look back on this life and this world, and we will all say, not one of his words fell to the ground. Not one of his promises failed. He is faithful, faithful, faithful. Now we see in a mirror dimly. And we can doubt. And we can fear. And we can fret. But call this to mind. Say this to your soul My God is faithful. My God is faithful. Deuteronomy 7, 9, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. The one who began a good work in you will see it to completion, the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.6, 1 6. First Thessalonians 5.24, the one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. He will do it. Great is thy faithfulness. And with his eye of faith on the triune, faithful God, Jeremiah concludes, doesn't he? The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord.